This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If the plan doesn't work, change the plan, but never the goal. And I was able to make it to Stahegan, which is about 50 miles from there, with your 60. And the only reason I was able to do that, I realize now, is because I was taking like seven or eight Advil each day, pounding Advil the entire time to, to relieve the pain. And I was confident the first day. I was able to do a 20-mile day, which wasn't the best idea. And by the time I got to Stahekin, my knee was throbbing, and I knew it only got harder at that point. So going south from Stahekin, you hit Section K, which is all the way to Stevens Pass. And that's notorious as being the second hardest section after the Sierra. And going into that, it was a mental block and my knee was killing me. I got about three miles south of Stahekin and ended up calling it there because I was feeling shooting pain in my knee. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Meerpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, Dirtbags and Hiker Trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
All right, let's get to this week's guest, who was last on the podcast way back in May of 2021 during season two. I can't believe it's been that that long. Welcome back to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Matt Schmutz Lions. How's it going, Schmutz? I'm great. I'm great. It's good to be back. Excited to talk trail, and yeah, it has been a while, so That's a lot's like a, happened, and yeah, ready to ready to chat. Yeah. That's like a year and a half. I know. I know. I didn't expect it to be that long. I don't know. I was ideally this would have been a year earlier. So a lot happened and I'm happy to fill you in on that. Okay. Now I, I already gave away your trail name for our listeners who may not have uh, listened to your episode before. So why don't you give us the, the backstory on Schmutz? How'd you come by that? Yeah. So I ended up getting that name on the Appalachian trail in 2019. Uh, I uh, did a Nobo through hike back then. And I was hiking with a group from day one. I met them the first night at the Stover Creek shelter down in Georgia. And we hiked for a while. And I met this guy named Aquaman who later became a really good friend of mine. And we ended up being roommates after the trail. And after the first week, uh, he noticed that the tent I was carrying, which was a, like a five and a half pound freestanding absolute monster of a tent i ended up setting that up every night and shaking it out above my head and i kept saying i'm getting all the schmutz out of it just because i for some reason thought that word was hilarious and (laughs) so he's like that's the one that's what we're calling you schmutz so that's how i got that name it stuck with me and i carried it onto this trail that i hiked this year now schmutz are your your is your family from the midwest your parents from the midwest no east coast East Coast, because my my mom used that uh, term as well, schmutz. I remember that yeah. childhood. She's she's from the Midwest. So I wonder if there was some kind of maybe Midwestern tradition behind that word. Yeah, I've heard from quite a few people that it means uh, it's basically the same meaning as dirt or just like d- being dirty. And I hiked with a a woman from the Netherlands this this summer, and she was telling me that they use it a lot to describe dirt over in Europe. So. That's about all I know about it, but I guess it makes sense and it's fitting for a through hike. So, <laughs> yeah, I've always heard it used as in, "Hey, you got a little bit of schmutz on your face or on your shirt. Yeah, it's a little bit of a little bit of something you got to get rid of." So, Doc, you should hear how many times I say that. I just I use my trail name a lot in conversation when I'm on the trail, and people are like, "You're ridiculous." <laughs> <laughs> nice, that's awesome. Mm. All right, hey, you've obviously been on the podcast before. Um, so you know that we have the pro tip inside of the week, just giving you a reminder on that. Uh, we get towards the yep. end of the episode, I'll turn to you and look to look to you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners. So don't be surprised when we get there. Got it. Thanks okay. again. <laughs> hey, a, a few things have changed since the last time you've been on the podcast, including these cool intros recorded by my my daughter, Half Calf. Okay. Spring gear review. So we're going to start off with the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, six moon designs. And I think you're familiar, but for our listeners out there who may be uh, listening in for the first time, here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike or a four month hike of the, the uh, PCT, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Schmutz, what sh- what is your must bring piece of gear out there? What do you have to have with you? Oh man! Um, so when you're out on the trail, I think one of the 
biggest things or biggest parts of the through hike is eating food and getting calories. So if I were to go out there and I didn't have my spork or some utensil to eat food, I think I would have to get off trail just because it's something I always need. You never know when one of your buddies is eating something you want a bite of. You just reach over, take a bite of that, and you can just scoop peanut butter straight from the jar. So spork is probably my main piece of gear that I wouldn't go anywhere without just to to make sure you're getting those calories and replenishing. So <laughs> get yourself a spork. Yes, Schmutz, we've had like uh, 220 episodes. I think this is the first the first time we've heard of a spork being the must bring piece of gear. So congratulations on that. Way to go. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you can sleep on the ground. Insulation's one thing. Shelter's one thing. But if you're not eating food, what are you doing out there? You know? That's right. Does it have to be a long-handled spork or you don't mind getting your knuckles dirty? I mean, if we're we're out there in the woods, you can get your knuckles dirty. But I like the long handle just because a lot of things you're eating, you have to dig deep down. I like the uh, freeze-dried meals. I've noticed they've actually adapted those. You get They made them a little bit shorter. They oh, used thank, to be really tall back then. You know, yeah, right? yeah. Mountain House is really getting on that. But I have seen some companies still with the really long bags. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of defeating for people with a short spork, you know? So, I mean, you still have to put the same amount of water into the bag. So are they, instead of making it tall, are they making it, are they making it long? I Yes. So I have noticed it is a little bit longer, but it also makes it more stable. So if you're putting it down to hydrate, it's not going to tip over as easy. So it's kind of a double whammy there. Nice. Now let, <laughs> let, let's, uh, let's, get into some theoreticals here. If you had forgotten your spork, you're out in the middle of nowhere or your spork broke or it washed away in a stream, whatever Mm -hmm. the accident is, you're, you're no longer with a spork. What, what is the, what is a suitable replacement out there? What, what should people be looking to, to possibly replace their spork with some kind of natural item, something found out there in in the wild? Well, I think it depends what section of trail you're on. So if you're say, in the Sierra and there isn't much vegetation around and you're basically in the elements and you need something to eat your mountain house, you could find a rock of some sort and just kind of make sure it's nice and clean and then go in there with the rock. Um, I have seen people use sticks before to kind of, if you have a knife, you could carve or whittle a stick into a, a spoon shape or you could just freehand it. You just go right in there, embrace it. <laughs> Embrace the sock. That's right. So, yeah. I mean, you got to get creative, right? Nice. Just make sure your fingers are clean. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Hey, did we do the hiking pole last time you were on? I mean, no, you were, no. You were I actually back listened in season to some two. recent ones. Yeah. I listened to some recent episodes. I'm like, I didn't get that privilege. So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we, we have circled back to give you that opportunity. Now, oh, yeah. I'm not sure which ones you've listened to, but we do have two sets of questions. And since okay. you have not participated at all, you're you're eligible for either set of questions. I'm going to give you uh, a choice. All right. You're okay. Ready? All right. Yeah. Okay. So the first set of questions. This is a seven question poll, uh, hiking poll. Oh, and you know what? I'm doing I'm doing half calf. Uh, a little bit of misjustice here. Let me injustice. It's the hiking <laughs> poll. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's a seven question survey. Uh, it's going to help me rate you on a scale from one to a hundred in terms of your sanity with 100 oh, completely sane and one being completely insane. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. And so the lower the number, the more insane. That's correct. That's correct. You're, you're, the fir- you're like one of the first guests to, to get that concept. You usually think that, you know, the, the higher the score, the more insane you are, but you, you listen. Right. So right. Right. Yeah. props <laughs> to you. Um, so as a, as a long trail through hiker, you've already done the AT, you've already, you've done the PCT now. You, you, you already lose 25 points right off the top because there's a certain level of insanity that goes along with that. So the, the highest they're, they're 12 and a half points each. Is that what we're doing? No, you know, I just do a flat 25 if you, if you've done it. Right. Right. So that's fair. That's I don't want to penalize you too much. Uh, <laughs> so the highest score you can get is 75. Okay. All right. All right. So Schmutz, if I were to ask your parents, you know, where would Schmutz fall on the, the sanity scale? What, what score would they give you? Oh man. I feel like I put on a good sane mask when I get off trail. So I don't know. I think, I think they'd probably put me, let's see. I'd say around 30, 35. 35. Yeah. That's like, that's yeah. like most, mostly insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm their son. I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty insane to them being all young and whatnot, you know? I, I, I like how you led into that. I, I put on a pretty good mask. So like 30, 30. I mean, if I didn't, I feel like it'd be more like a one or a two. But. Yeah, you just kind of gave us a, a a reveal, a look into uh, into your mind there. Uh, Schmutz yeah. thinks he's probably in the, like the five to ten range because if he puts on a good mask, he can get all the way up to thirty. We'll see. We'll see what happens, Doc. I don't know. Okay. All right. So here here are the two sets of questions. One one is related strictly to hiking. It's the hiking pole. Uh, so these these questions for people who have not taken the poll before, they usually get the hiking questions. We want to hear what their perspective is on on different aspects of hiking. The other set of questions, sections, uh, uh, section question questions from set B, uh, those are questions related to the big issues that we're currently wrestling with in society. We could probably devote uh, an entire episode to any one of these questions. On some of these questions, you might be able to devote an entire podcast, but uh, sure. you you have your choice: set A or set B. Man, I mean, I feel like I have to go with the hiking. I don't want to be too yeah. cliche, but. Yeah, yeah we're think, gonna go hiking. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think people want to hear <laughs> what Schmutz has to say on these seven hiking-related questions. All right. And now this Good. is based strictly on what I think of your answer. It's totally subjective whether or not I agree with you. And so it's always best to to give an answer and then give your justification for the answer. Because maybe you can persuade me, even if I don't agree with you. Maybe I can see the logic behind your decision. Sure. Yeah. Just a healthy conversation. Let's see how it goes. Exactly. All right. <laughs> Question number one. We'll start out with an easy one. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trekking poles immediately. I used to be, before the AT and the PCT, very anti-trekking pole for no valid reason. But um, when I got on the AT, I had a buddy who I hiked with up in New Hampshire at my old job. And he said, oh, I have these trekking poles that I'm like never using. And I know you're going on the AT. Why don't you try them out? And so I took them. I'm like, whatever. I'll probably get rid of them like day two. And I went out on trail and I realized that it gives my arms and hands something to do while I'm hiking. So I actually hiked the entire PCT with a non-trekking pole user. And they argued constantly that they're fine. Like they get used to it. It's it's no big deal, but they don't know this side of the story and they don't understand it until you fully use the trekking poles. 
So I'm on the trekking pole bandwagon. One, because you it gives your hands something to do. Two, it helps out with stability and keeping your knees healthy. Three, shelters sometimes rely on them. And four, it can be defense if a bear or some sort of animal comes after you. So that's my reasoning. You can disagree, but I'm team trekking pole for sure. I, I like that. I, I've never heard the defense angle before. That's a, that's a new wrinkle in the whole trekking pole argument. That's that's. that's oh, yeah. Cool. It makes you feel a lot more secure out there, I feel like. That's right. And I love the fact that the people who don't use trekking poles, they, 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 they think that they've got the argument down that, that, you know, I don't need that. I, they, right. From their perspective, I mean, they've been walking since birth. That's all they need to do, but uh, yeah. you're right. They really don't under, you, you can't grasp the impact of trekking poles until you've used trekking poles. Yeah. I mean, it's the old saying, you don't knock it till you try it. You know, it's easy to say, don't use them. They're not great, but I've been on both sides and I've seen the pros and cons. So, okay, yeah, <laughs> I like I like the way you you introduced that. That you said that uh, you you were anti trekking pole for no good reason up until yeah. until the trail. You just had a preconceived yeah. notion that no, those are dumb. <laughs> All right, question number two: What's on your feet? Boots or trail runners? Or are you are you going barefoot out there, Schmutz? I'm not that crazy, Doc. I went trail runners, and I will say my trail runners are a little bit more hefty than most. I know I hiked with a lot of people who use Lone Peaks um, or other types of ultras, and I feel like they might as well go barefoot because I've seen some of those shoes get so worn down, and people say that they feel like they're just walking on the ground barefoot. Um, I use Solomon trail runners, which is kind of like a hybrid between boots and uh trail runners it was the solomon xa pro and it kind of felt sturdy and i actually got a lot of miles out of my last pair on the pct i got like 1200 miles in one pair which wow is probably a little too much but um they really work for me and i really like them and i feel like i don't get as many blisters with them so team trail runner i'd say yeah, when I talk to folks who uh, who swear by the ultras, they they usually get you know four hundred miles, five hundred miles, maybe six if they're pushing it. But you got twelve hundred out yeah. of your Solomon's. Yeah, it, the AT and the PCT. I used the same shoes for both, and I went through six pairs total on both trails. So it was like three and three, and I feel like a lot of people go through four to five pairs and. So I don't know. I really like the ones I use and they work for me, but they might not work for everyone. Yeah. You know, in, in just in, in life in general, uh, when people go out to a shoe store and they need a new pair of shoes, they typically don't get the same shoes, right? I mean, if they're getting shoes for work or if they're getting maybe tennis shoes, maybe, you know, they don't, they don't always get the same thing. And so they're always having to try them on because shoe manufacturers are a little bit different here or there. You got to feel what, what feels right on your, on your feet. But I have yeah. to imagine going through the you know six pairs of the Solomons, you don't need to try them on and walk walk around uh, in in the shoe store. You just you know you can order them online and you're good to go. Because yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what works, and it's it's easier to just stick with what you know works than switch to something on trail and risk injuring yourself or having it not work. So, okay. Question number three: tent. Tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? What's your preferred shelter system out there? Are we talking PCT or other trails or just in general? 
Uh, let's, well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's, what, what is the preferred shelter system for the PCT and what, what was it on the AT and how, and why? Okay. So, um, on the PCT, I'd say tent or bivy all the way, but I, I'd lean towards tent just cause that's what I use. I, I've seen success with bivvies and, and whatnot, but, um, I really like the tent just having a place to easily pop it up and get away from bugs also for weather. Um, I know there isn't a ton of precipitation on the PCT, but it was nice to have a tent and a roof over my head during those times. Um, I also like the warmth of a tent. So if I'm in a cold situation or I'm in the Sierra and it's getting down into the twenties per se, having that tent um, really helps me stay warm at night. And I, I like how it blocks the wind and keeps the cold out. Uh, quite well but on the AT I didn't so much like the tent I did have a pretty bad tent in my opinion it was not waterproof whatsoever let everything in it was saggy it was just not great and if I were to do the AT again the Appalachian Trail I would switch to a hammock and that's just saying because I hiked with a group of like five or six people three of them started with a tent and two out of those three switched to hammocks midway through. And I was jealous for like the second half of the AT just because when it rained, I was on the ground, everything got wet. I had to pack up a wet tent, whereas they could just throw up their tarp on a tree and then set everything up underneath and stay dry the entire time. So with the abundance of trees on the AT, I would do a hammock if I were to hike it again, but PCT tent, AT hammock. Okay, that makes sense. If you're on if you're on the PCT with a hammock, you'd you'd be in a tough spot in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you could make it work in some spots, but there are sections where you'd be just cowboying on the ground and not being able to use it. But yeah, do do you sleep okay in a hammock? Have you tried overnight in a hammock? I have, I have. I've never really used a good ultralight like backpacking hammock setup. I've just like used a casual hammock that I would set up at home. It's not really lightweight. It's more of like a car camping type thing. And I've slept in it. Not great, but I've heard there are better designs for backpacking and getting a good night's sleep. So I can't really speak to that because I don't have experience. So, <laughs> I mean, I can, I can take the best 20 minute nap in a, in a hammock that you'll ever see, but uh, try for, you know, six, seven, eight hours. It's, I, I, I don't know. I just can't get comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. I could see how I think setting it up, the setup is the most important part. So if you don't get a good setup or pitch, it's probably not great. Okay. Question number four, when it comes to your sleep system, are you a sleeping bag guy or are you quilt? Ooh, oh man. I am team quilt now. Had you asked me on our last episode, I would have said sleeping bag. I ended up switching to a 10 degree quilt for the PCT. And it treated me really well. I liked how if it got really cold, you could clip it underneath you. You could cinch the neck and button the neck around you so it feels like a mummy bag. But it also had a little bit more like wiggle room. I found it to be less constricting than a mummy bag, uh, which I used on the AT. Don't get me wrong, it was warm. But if it was too warm, the mummy bag just becomes an issue because you can get out of it, but then you lay it on top of you and you have drafts on the side. I think a quilt is just a lot more versatile. So I'd say I'd say team quilt. Absolutely. And now you're a big guy. How tall are you? 
Uh, six two. Six two. Okay. Six, and so yeah. the quilt that you had, you you found that found that adequate? Did you buy like a normal quilt size? Or did you have to get you have to size up a little bit. I got the long uh, enlightened equipment quilt, so it was made for people up to I think six two is what they rated it for. Um, and I found it was great. If I had my feet totally at the in the foot box at the end, it came up to about here, like which is right around my eye level. So I was able to get it above my head and then wear a hood and have pretty good insulation if it got really cold. Okay. Um, so I'd say if you're six feet and above, I would go for the the long version if you're going for enlightened equipment. I can't speak for other brands right now, but okay. Now, how did the yeah. 10 degree hold up? I mean, you, I know you just finished the PCT in November, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, November so 5th. You ran into some temperatures, I imagine. How did the 10 degree hold up in that? Yeah. So it was the coldest nights I had were there was like one night in the Sierra that got down to about, say, 24 degrees, which is actually not terrible for, for going through the Sierra. It's it's a lot colder i'm sure um and there was also one night three days from the mexican border uh near mount laguna that got down to 23 degrees and we had snow that night and i was warm both of those nights so i was really happy with it and i'd recommend the 10 degree for a southbound hike nice that's good to hear because i know a lot of people think about quilts and they think oh that's not going to keep me warm but obviously it worked in your case yeah yep okay now, when it comes to food out there, question number five, are you a stove guy, cold soak, or stoveless? I am a stove guy, and the people I hiked with are going to make fun of me again for this, but I love eating oatmeal for dinner. It's kind of non-traditional dinner item on the trail, but I usually cook a lot of oatmeal, like copious amounts of oatmeal for dinner just to get those calories. And we had a running joke on the trail that, I had to get to 10 packets of oatmeal by the end of the trail in one night. So I was eating on average, I ate like five to seven packets of oatmeal for one dinner. And I was going to do a tenner is what we called it, which is 10 packets on the last night. And I got to the store at Mount Laguna and they didn't have the oatmeal that I wanted. So I didn't get to do the tenner, but my record was seven packets and I probably could eat more, but I would have just felt sick, but I need a stove for that. So I'd say team stove. I've kind of flirted with the idea of going stoveless and cold soaking, but uh, I just couldn't couldn't build up the courage. <laughs> Smart man. Now you say packets of oatmeal. Are you talking like Quaker oats with you know like the yeah, apple, like instant. apples and cinnamon and brown sugar, maple oh, sugar, maple brown sugar all the way. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah, I would. Usually, I think there was one section from Mammoth to Bishop, and I packed out like 25 packets of oatmeal, I think, <laughs> and ate all 25, no problem. It was great. <laughs> now, when you're out there for that extended period of time and you're eating the same thing over and over again, does that ever ruin it for you? Uh, in that instance, no. In that case, I, I really didn't get sick of it. Everyone kept saying like, oh, you're going to be done with this after a week. Um, but I think I ate oatmeal for dinner for about, almost two months which was crazy <laughs> crazy i tried to get some protein in there as well but um i didn't get sick of that i did get sick of bars just eating like uh cliff bars or whatnot i'm not 
saying one bar is better than the other. I'm just saying bars in general just get old out there. It's something you can get everywhere and you end up having to get everywhere because that's all there is sometimes. Um, I also got sick of, of like chicken packets and ramen. So I just switched to oatmeal um, and kind of cut those out of my diet while I was out there because I had it too much. Yeah, one thing I never eat in cityfied life again is uh, pop tarts or payday bars. That they're forever payday ruined. Yeah, I, I used <laughs> king size payday bars out there for for a while because they they had yep. good calories, and uh, I liked paydays back in the day. But man, yeah, it just ruined it. I don't even want to know how many pop tarts I've eaten over the years. <laughs> Disgusting amount. Yeah. But we uh, we also had this snack out there. A lot of people eat Snickers bars and after a while you're just eating Snickers on Snickers and it, it gets old. So we had this idea to have a, a Snickamole. So you dip the Snickers in guac. And so it's like guacamole on a Snickers bar. And so we ate that a couple of times. And uh, my friend also sent me this video of a Snickers um, kind of wedged between two halves of a pickle and they called it a Snickle. So you just cut a pickle lengthwise down the middle and you make a sandwich out of it with a Snickers bar and you can just put a rubber band around it and gnaw on that on the trail too. So a couple hacks for you. Just make sure you're paying attention. You don't eat the rubber band. <laughs> dangerous. It's a dangerous game. Snickamole and Snickles. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. There you go. Awesome. Getting creative out there. But what does that say about, about oatmeal, about Quaker oat? Quicker Oats oatmeal, the the maple oh, sugar. How good is that? If you can eat it for just days and weeks and months on end and just still. It's just, it, it just hits at night. You get into camp. You hike a long day. Fire up the stove knowing you're going to just indulge in a warm pot of oatmeal. I don't know. It is just something that I looked forward to each day. And other people just couldn't see the vision. But I don't know. I really thought it was something that made my hike more worthwhile if you will <laughs> yes is, is that a p potential stocking stuffer for you this holiday season some some maybe i wouldn't be upset no. with a stocking full of quaker oats i don't know <laughs> <laughs> are you sponsored by quaker oats if not you should be <laughs> <laughs> i wish i wish <laughs> all right question number six is life better above or below the tree line mm. Oh man. This all right. So what's the weather looking like? Or are we just in general above or below? What if it's like storming? I'd say below. But uh okay. If I had to answer that, I'd say above, just because the views are pretty incredible, but it can get pretty scary above the tree line. Um we had a couple of close calls in Washington. We were near Rock Pass, we were like fourteen miles from the Canadian border. And I was hiking back towards Hearts Pass after tagging the border. And I was just about to summit Rock Pass and the loudest crack of thunder um, hit the ridge. And we saw this flash of lightning touch down right near us. And the storm just opened up and we had to book it down the other side, heading towards Hearts Pass to the trees. So there's some moments above treeline that are pretty terrifying, but the good days make up for that. And I, I find it more exciting to have the, the expansive views. So. Yeah, I, I would agree. You can't beat the views. It is exposed, but uh, man, 
there's something to be said about just having that, that miles and miles of scenery. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, Schmutz down to question number seven, last question in the poll. What's more important pack weight or luxury items? Luxury items. Definitely. I, on the last episode, I was telling you how I do go for some lightweight gear. I did swap out some gear to go more lightweight this trip, but I don't really count the ounces and I, I don't even, couldn't even tell you how heavy my pack was the entire trail. So it, I just notice if it's lighter, that's really like, I don't really put it on a scale and I don't try to, I guess, actively try and cut things to make it that way. Um, I think I actually put things in my pack more than I did get rid of them on this trip. But I do like luxury items. One thing that this guy on the PCT and I did, we had a little Frisbee that we would throw around. It was called a zip chip. So every time we got to camp, we would toss that. And that was just something that was really fun. We had decks of cards. I brought a journal. Um, so I had a lot of things that ultralight hikers wouldn't normally have. And I find that to be more rewarding than having a little less weight on my my back. So, Okay. Bonus question. Full-size toothbrush, you break the handle off, so half-size toothbrush, or you drill holes in the handle, or you just use your finger to brush your teeth, clean your teeth. <laughs> half-size toothbrush. Half-size. That's what right. I use. Yeah. Yep. All right, Schmitz, <laughs> I got to do some math here. I got to put this into the John Freaking Mirpod al- algorithm. Uh, to uh, Let's see. I carry the two. We're going to divide by root three. Multiply by pi, and then we're going to adjust for the temperature three days north of Campo. And I come up with a, a score of 46. Oh, 46. that's a bit okay. saner than your parents think. Yeah, wow. They're going to be happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't want to be too insane. I think the mustache makes me look a little more insane than I actually am throwing people off i like it yeah i like it now just a, a you know if you, in case you're wondering about the set b questions just a a sample question you don't have to answer it now we'll answer it on your next your next time through the podcast here perfect <laughs> sample question from set b you know what would be your most useful skill in case of a zombie apocalypse these are the things to consider so nah, i'd be excited to answer those doc i'm just i'm just wetting your appetite for next time absolutely yep Okay. All right. Hey, let's back up a little bit before we get too far down the trail. Let's uh, let's remind people uh, who have listened before or just tell people in general who, who are first time listeners to the to the podcast, you know, what's your background? Where'd you grow up and uh, what, how'd you get involved in the, the through, through hiking cult? Uh, so I am originally from Connecticut, Southern Connecticut, and I grew up here. I was actually born in Philly, but I grew up, spent my entire childhood in Southern Connecticut. And I eventually accepted a summer position up in New Hampshire, up near the White Mountains as a kind of a backpacking hiking guide at a summer camp. And through that program, I kind of worked my way up to assistant director there and worked there for about eight summers. And with that experience, I went on a lot of hikes on the Appalachian Trail through New Hampshire and through the White Mountains. While doing that, I met a lot of people on the AT because a lot of the hikes we did were around the time that the bubble would be coming through the White Mountains. So I would be leading 
12 to 14 year olds on three to five day backpacking trips. And we would run into through hikers every once in a while. And I would always encourage them to ask questions and kind of pick their brain and see how insane these people really are in a, in a cool way. So I met a lot of people that way. And one of my coworkers at that program decided to through hike in 2017 through hike the Appalachian trail. So I ended up chatting with him and I met a couple other people in that job that had through hiked and they eventually convinced me to give it a shot. So in 2019, I decided to set out northbound. With your experience working, working those summers, was, was it you that said that you had run into one of my previous guests or it might've been one of my previous guests who said they've run into you. I don't know if it was nasty noodle who said that he met you or was familiar with you or vice versa. Does that sound nasty familiar noodle. Um, did Nasty Noodle hike the AT that year? I know he hiked the AT. I'm not sure which year, but he was. Doesn't really ring a bell. I may ha- I may have run into them, but yeah. I don't. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I think somewhere you have crossed guests with with maybe one or more of of my my past guests, and I would li- like to think that also by you you uh, doing some youth guiding out there and introducing these these kids to through hikers, you may be responsible for some future through hikers out there because. You know, when I ask people this question of how did you get involved in the through hiking cult, it's usually some encounter with the trail or with a through hiker uh, early on in their 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 childhood or adolescence, and it just kind of festers in their mind. They think about it for a while and eventually come around to, you know, what I've got to hike that trail, and they find themselves yeah. out there doing that. So you you have possibly uh, helped a, a few through hikers to to get their start. It is funny you say that because. Now that you mentioned, I did run into one of my former campers through that program on my through hike about a day from Katahdin, a day from the finish, and he was hiking southbound on the PC on the AT that year, and I had led him on a backpacking trip like six years prior to that. I didn't inspire him to through hike, but it was so cool to see him out there hiking and and kind of getting out there and doing his thing. So. It is kind of cool the impact you can have if you just chat with some day hikers or section hikers and mm-hmm. and kind of spread that seed of through hiking to the next group. That's fantastic. Now, last time we talked, I know that you you were you were hoping for a southbound hike of the PCT, and you were actually working on a documentary project called uh, I think Sobo Doc uh, is yep. the maybe the social media handle that you were using at the time. So. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, we're going to hear how that uh, 2022 southbound hike of the PCT went and get an update on the Sobo Dock. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. 
Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned. Jolly Gear. Where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Maddie Schmutz Lyons, and you talked a little bit about the about the AT in 2019. Uh, was that your first real big experience on the trail? I mean, he, had you done other maybe segments of of the AT or other you know hikes that maybe took uh, weeks or months, or is this the the first big one for you? It was the first uh, big trail. Um, I had hiked like a 90 mile section of the AT in the white mountains before that through the summer job that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was my first big trail. Yeah. Okay. And you, you've now had the experience of being on the PCT. What, uh, what are the immediate comparisons that come to mind when you think about the AT and the PCT? Yeah, I would say one thing about the PCT that's very different is the constant exposure and sun exposure and vertical exposure so you're always or very often above tree line um you're constantly in contact with the sun and that's kind of a mistake i made when i first went out there last year um is not having the proper clothing and having that sun exposure really kind of beat down on me and make me really fatigued and and not feeling great so that's one thing i noticed is the environmental factors on the pct are very different it's very dry hot can be cold um, and you're exposed a lot more, but hiking wise, I would say the AT is a little more intense in terms of up and down and elevation change. Um, but overall, they're just totally different trails. I Apples to oranges. It's so hard to compare the two and say, which one's my favorite even, or which one 
I enjoyed more. Everyone always asks me that and I don't know how to answer it. Yeah. So there's just some immediate differences. Yeah. You're not the first one to say um, about the AT being a little more intense with the, with the up and down. And I always find that a little hard to believe. I I mean, I believe you, I believe you. I've heard of enough people now that I, I I understand and I believe you. Uh, But you, you think in the PCT with the PCT, you've got the Sierras where you're, you're going over 10,000, 11,000, 12,000, even, even forest or 13,200 foot passes. Right. Yeah. Uh, which uh, on the AT, you don't have any, any kind of uh, elevation that, that tops out near to that. But mm-hmm. I think the design of the trail lends itself to be a little more intense on the AT is my understanding. Yeah. The Sierra was definitely uh, one of those sections where I felt like, wow, this is, this is intense. This is, I'm really out here. And I never really felt that out there on the AT. There was maybe once in like the hundred mile wilderness, but um, the Sierra and then section K up in Northern Washington were some pretty intense stretches of trail. And some of the climbs through there were very reminiscent of the AT, if not more challenging. So. Okay. Now you had hoped to do the PCT entirely southbound and create a documentary about that, about that experience. How did it go? Yeah. So uh, when we last chatted, I was only two months out from starting the southbound hike and I followed through with that. I left my job in New Hampshire. I flew out to Seattle, got a ride to Hearts Pass. Actually, I'm sorry. I take that back. We road tripped out to Hearts Pass from Connecticut. We ended up driving from Connecticut out to Washington, a couple friends and my brother and I. Wow. And they That's dropped a, me off. That, that is a road trip right there. Oh yeah. It was it was great. We did it took about five days, saw a few national parks, and then eventually made our way to Hearts Pass. And I started the trail north to the Canadian border. I made it about seven miles from Hearts Pass. My knee injury at the time, which was inflammation of my IT band that had been an issue leading up to the hike that kind of stopped me in my track seven miles north. I decided this really isn't a great idea right now. I need to ease into this a little more and maybe do a section that's not as intense. I hiked back to Hearts Pass, past the person that I was meeting up with to hike the entire trail with. He asked me, what am I doing? Why am I going the wrong way? And I told him my knee's killing me. I got to go back down to town, see what's going on. So I made it seven miles, hiked back, went into Mazama, which is the town near there, and spent the night. It was a mess. I was super upset. I'm like, why did I drive all the way out here? Why did I invest all this time and money and everything into this hike if I'm just going to make it seven miles and quit? And I talked to a bunch of people. I decided the next day I was going to give it another shot. This time I went back to Hearts Pass, hiked south from Hearts towards rainy path and Stahican. And I was able to make it to Stahican, which is about 50 miles from there, 50 or 60. And the only reason I was able to do that, I realize now is because I was taking like seven or eight Advil each day. I was just pounding Advil the entire time to, to relieve the pain. And I was confident the first day I was able to do a 20 mile day, which wasn't the best idea. And by the time I got to Stahican, my knee was throbbing and I knew it only got harder at that point. So going south from Stahican, you hit section K, which is all the way to Stevens Pass. 
And that's notorious as being the second hardest section after the Sierra. And going into that, it was a mental block and my knee was killing me. I got about three miles south of Stahican and ended up calling it there because I was feeling shooting pain in my knee. So I turned back and had to find a way to get back to Connecticut. So I was going to book a ferry ticket because the only way out of Stahican is to hike 20 miles take a four-hour ferry or take a seaplane because there are no roads that lead there. So I was like, what am I doing? I'm getting off the trail. I'm a mess. And now I need to find my way out of this place. So I was going to the general store to buy a ticket for the Wi-Fi that they sold so you can get on the Wi-Fi. And a guy taps me on the shoulder and he said, are you hiking the PCT? And I'm like, no, I just decided to get off trail. And he said, oh, well, you can come with me. I've got a private boat and I'm driving my daughter and I back to Chelan the next morning. So he said, be at the dock at 6 a.m. He drove me to Chelan and I took a couple buses to Seattle and ended up flying home. So that kind of ended my dream in 2021 of the Sobo hike. And I said, maybe I'll come back next year. And I did. So that was the 2021 story. That was after our last episode. Um but I felt pretty defeated after that. But this year I came back strong. That's, kind of, so. that's, a, that's a heartbreaking tale to start off with, uh, Schmutz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely a, a low moment. Yeah, IT band, man, it's, uh, that is a problem. It's, uh, it, I know a lot of uh, hikers and a lot of uh, runners suffer from IT band pain. And, you know, there are certain stretches you can do to, to maybe prevent that from occurring or to help that prevent that. But I mean, once it's, once it's set in, I mean, you're kind of, kind of up the Creek for a bit. Yeah, it was, it was something that I didn't think would ever end because I was having that pain for over a year. I had oh. seen a bunch of doctors about it. They told me it's really not a huge issue and it's something that will resolve, but I couldn't get it out of my head that this is something I can overcome. And that's kind of what led me to get off trail, not knowing that it's something I can work through. Um, and I think over the course of the past year, I realized that and made steps to get through it. And that's what led me to going back this year. Well, tell us about that. I mean, tell us, tell us what you did between getting off trail in 2021 prior to uh, getting on back on trail in 2022. How did you address the IT issue, IT band issue? So I, I got back, I had left my job. Um, so I ended up coming back to my hometown, living here for a little while and getting a job for the year. And in the meantime, I was determined to get back on trail because I knew this is just a roadblock and I need to get back out there. So I decided to start working on strengthening my legs. I went to the gym pretty often. I saw a physical therapist, therapist briefly. Um, I started a stretching technique and a massage technique that really helped me a lot. And that confidence slightly grew, but there was always that block in my head that said, I'm doing all these things. I'm just going to go back out there and it's going to repeat. And I told myself, I'll give it one more go and we'll see what happens. And fortunately things worked out. Nice. So did you road trip across the nation again, or uh, did you take a <laughs> route to the, to the trail? No, my, my brother and friends were like, we might not go along this time because that took a while, but <laughs> I ended up flying to Seattle and my buddy uh, kind of met me there. And then I uh, got a ride up to Hearts Pass and 
started from there, but I flew this time. <laughs> and is it the same buddy who you were going to hike the trail with last time? No, different friends. This is a friend um, that I met years before who moved out to Seattle and he let me crash at his place. And then I got up to, up to Hearts Pass. Okay. Did he so. just provide the ride to Hearts Pass or is he going to hike with you too? So actually I just had a block. Um, he was going to hike with me and he was going to drive up. And then a day before I left, I was looking at the snow conditions and that's what led to the change in my plans. And I know we were talking about that. I don't know why I went up. To, I thought I went up to Hearts Pass there for a sec, but I did have a total change of plans this year, very last minute. So I wanted to tell you guys about that. Um, before I left, I had a southbound permit. My plan was to start at Hearts Pass with this friend. And I had my flight booked. I was leaving two days later. And I was looking at the snow for the few weeks leading up to that. And it was being really stubborn this year. And the snow in Washington was not melting. So the trail was really treacherous up until late July. And my permit date was July 8th. So I knew that would be an issue. So I made the tough decision two days before my flight left to change my permit to a flip-flop permit. And I know my whole plan was southbound and the project we're working on is revolving around a southbound experience, but I knew that safety kind of came first. And that is part of the experience is working around those logistical itch issues such as snow and fire. And so that's going to be part of our story. So I switched my permit started in Ashland, Oregon, and hiked northbound to the Canadian border, and then got a flight back to Ashland and hiked south. So it turned into a different itinerary, but it was still an awesome experience. That's a That shows a bit of trail wisdom right there. I, I know this can't be your pro tip now because we're talking about it, but um, you know, you had a documentary in mind i mean for you you had a, a you had enough impetus to make all the wrong decisions and, and try and make this happen right i mean you had a, yeah. a documentary called sobo and you could have said you know what i i need to go sobo so I'm, I'm gonna do it i'm gonna try it and and like you said it, it could have been very treacherous with with dire consequences but you had the ability to step back from that and say you know what safety first you gotta you gotta do what's what's uh what's best with safety in mind and you actually changed the, the direction of your trip. So uh, you are to be commended for that. <laughs> Thank you. It was definitely a tough decision, but I don't regret it one bit. I had the experience of a lifetime, met some awesome people and still got to hike a majority of the trail southbound. So I got the best of both worlds, I think. Yeah. So you only hiked one state southbound. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it was a long, it was a big to, state. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's probably the, the biggest north south state there is. So, yeah, it was a I lot. I don't want to minimize that. <laughs> so, tell us about the northbound part first, uh, Medford to uh, to to the Canadian border. How was that? It was great. I started off slow, I knew my knee was still a factor I had to consider. So, I was planning on 10 to 14 miles a day, roughly. And I had heard that Oregon was one of the flatter states out of the three. So um, I then, right? was, yeah. so I was able to kind of ease into it rather than starting in the North Cascades, which was another benefit of doing the flip-flop. Um, and right off the bat, I met this girl named Trash Croc. 
Natalie at the time. She didn't have a trail name. And these other two, um, Hot Sauce and Little Eggs. And they kind of were doing a little bit more than I was planning on doing. So they were probably doing like 16 to 18 miles a day. So I made the uh, the decision to up my miles, just looking at the terrain and saying I could probably probably do this because the first day or two I felt pretty good. So now had they got left, into it. They were they northbound hikers who had left from Campo. They were also flip floppers. Oh wow! Hikers at the time. Okay. So they yeah. So Hot Sauce and Little Eggs started in Etna, California, mm-hmm. and Natalie started in Syed Valley. So they were both going north. So they were just starting their through hike. And the plan was to just get passed by every northbounder at the time because we were just starting. We didn't have trail legs. And that's what we did. So we hiked basically all of Oregon together. Hot sauce and little legs ended up getting off in central Washington. And Natalie ended up hiking the entire trail with me, which was really cool. So we, we met quite a few people. We had a trail family going through Washington which made it incredible. A lot of them were northbounders. So we got to celebrate with them at the Canadian border. Uh, and then Natalie and I flipped back south to do California. Now, I know there's a lot of, lot of hikers out there on the, uh, on the PCT, but one of, one of the ones that I was following, and I actually met with him, uh, he, he, was on the, he was on the podcast, of course, and then I met him in Acton for dinner when he was going through there with, uh, with his, his trail family. Uh, his trail name was Magnet. So no way. <laughs> did you happen to meet Magnet? You know, Mag- I he was in my trail family. No way. Yeah. Can I tell you something right now? It might spoil something later in the podcast. Can I tell was you? He, was he with Boomerang? Not at the time. I didn't know Boomerang. Okay. All right. Yeah. So go, let's he, hear was, it. he was going to be my media recommendation. So. He oh, really? He's a really talented photographer, posts YouTube videos as well. So, Magnet, let's chat. Yeah, that's so yeah. funny. Magnet Northbound, I think, is his uh, Instagram handle. He also has another one, I think, called Extreme Oregon. Uh, yep. He lives in Oregon. He takes. He, he's an incredible photographer. And in fact, I got two yeah. emails. I got two emails from him today that I need to respond to. So that's that's really funny that that he was part of your trail family. Small world. Yeah, yeah, it was great. We hiked about. 400 miles together i'd say three or 400 so. that's awesome i didn't know if you were pulling my leg or not but you actually lit up when i said magnet you're like what yeah no he i talked with him a lot i still keep in touch with him quite a bit oh man yeah. i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to message him after the interview tonight and let him know that you and i spoke and, and his name yeah came yeah absolutely that's, that's so funny now when you, you said <laughs> earlier that you hiked the entire trail with Natalie, do you, did you mean the entire trail northbound or did she again then join you for the the southbound section uh section of the hike? So Natalie, I met her day 2 um just out of Ashland and we hiked all the way to Canada together. Her original plan was to just hike Oregon and Washington. And throughout those two states we really all got to know each other really well and she really loved the through hike experience and so we were able to convince her to do california as well (laughs) and so she yeah she met me i flipped south she stayed at home in seattle for a few days i started in etna because of the mckinney fire so i wasn't able to do ashland to etna Mm -hmm. and so i started in etna hiked four days to dunsmere and she met back up with me in dunsmere and we hiked to the mexican border from there together 
That is very cool. Yeah. I think I, I think yeah. I may have said earlier, uh, Medford to Canada. Medford, of course, is a, a little town just to the west of Ashland, and there's an airport there. So I, that, I, you said airport, and that's why. I, I, yeah, uh, I did fly into Medford, but okay. yeah, it's a cool right. town as well. There you go. All right. Yeah. So you met Magnet and uh, uh, assorted others on the way north, and then you and Natalie um, reunited in Dunsmuir and headed south. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how was how was that uh, that little jaunt through the state of California? <laughs> it was a lot. It was a long, long time. Um, and I had heard Nobos saying that. And I know a lot of Nobos might even spend more time in California just because they're getting their trail eggs and whatnot. So it took a long time, but it was beautiful at times and sucky at other times. Not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> That's another thing I hear about uh, folks that have hiked both the AT and the PCT is is one of the main differences. On the AT, you're you're constantly crossing state borders, but when when mm-hmm. you start out at the Mexican border, you don't cross the state border in in what seems like forever. You're you're no it feels like you're making no progress because you're still in the same dang state. It's crazy. They have on the AT they have something called the Virginia Blues, and it's 500 miles through Virginia, which is Oregon and Washington, like Oregon and Washington are both around 500, but California is a different beast. That's insane. Like 1600 miles. It's insane. It, it felt like it lasted forever, but I think it was segmented pretty well. And you got a different variations of terrain and so the scenery changed quite a bit, which made it not feel as redundant, which was nice. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, some of those sucky moments. Yeah, so I, um, right near, so there was the one at Rock Pass, the thunderstorm, which was one of the only days where it rained significantly on the trail. And we were soaking wet. It was something I wasn't used to on the PCT. On the AT, it would have just been another day. But having hiked through so much sunshine and beautiful weather leading up to that, it was just like, what are we doing? This is, this is miserable. Um, so that was one of them. Another would probably be one of the last nights on trail near um, Mount Laguna. So I didn't realize being so close to Mexico, there's still this section of trail that's at 6,000 feet and it gets weather, especially in November. So we were, it was November 2nd this year, so not a few weeks ago at this point. And uh, there was a few days of weather that came through and we got dumped on by hail and snow. And my tent flooded because it wasn't really, I didn't have it strung up to handle wind and rain. It was probably 60 to 70 mile per hour gusts, driving rain and hail. And so we woke up in a puddle and that was just reminiscent of the AT. But at that point, we're like, we're two days from the Mexican border. We're just going to finish this thing. So that was probably one of the suckiest moments. (laughs) How about, uh, how about, how about the other, the other side of the spectrum? What were some of the, the really high moments? One night in particular in the Sierra comes to mind, and I was hiking with Trash Crocker, Natalie, and this other guy, Dipper. And we were going through expecting to hike over the passes and then find a spot that's pretty low just to be a little warmer at night. And we got up to Silver Pass, which was one of the first ones that we hit going southbound. And we got up there, and it was the calmest weather we've ever seen there was zero wind it was incredibly warm for being dusk and almost 
nighttime. And so we're like, you know what, we're just going to cowboy up on Silver Pass. <laughs> we we looked at the weather, we saw it was going to be clear all night. And so we that's what we did. We had an incredible sunset. We made some dinner and then just watched the stars and sunset that night and had an awesome time. So moments like that really contrast with the, the other days that I was talking about. Yeah, I think Silver Pass doesn't get mentioned quite enough when people talk about the Sierras. I think it's a little... Uh undervalued because when we were going we were going northbound on the on the the John Muir trail we had a moment at at Silver Pass I think there was five of us uh, maybe six six of us and Mm -hmm. this great photo of the other five guys sitting uh, in various positions at the top or just below the top of Silver Pass looking towards the north and just you know lost in thought lost in their own heads uh, looking out in, into the distance at just the the amazing views, and uh, it's just a yeah. really powerful picture, powerful moment that I remember from the trail. It's just uh, incredible. Yeah. yeah, that's a memory that sticks out for me as well. That pass was cool. Nice. All right. Now, was that Natalie's? Was that her first uh, through hike of of a, a trail like the PCT? Yeah, yeah. So it was the first long distance hike that she had done which was really cool Wow! that she was able to just jump right into it and on a whim, just say, yeah, I'll hike 1600 more miles. (laughs) Nice. Now, how did this impact um, your Sobo doc? Is it now the flip-flop doc? That's what people keep asking. I say it's still going to be the Sobo experience in my mind. I, I really want to talk about the challenges of the Sobo experience and how you need to look at the snow and the weather windows. So, in Washington, that's something that I studied for months, like the snow level. In 2021, it was perfect. The conditions were perfect to start on July 3rd. I walked that whole stretch north of Hearts Pass and then to Stahican, didn't touch snow once on July 3rd. And then this year, people weren't able to safely go through it until mid to late July. So it really depends on the year. And, um, it's kind of hit or miss up there. So the Sobo experience, I want to highlight through the documentary and talk about that. Obviously recognizing that I didn't hike the Northern thousand miles of the trail southbound, but um, I can still kind of talk about that experience and how it impacted my decision to flip. So. Okay. Now, by the time you got to Washington, um, was that how far into the hike was that? Was that uh, like six, eight weeks into it? Yeah, we crossed. I think we were in Cascade Locks at, I think it was July 30th, July 29th or 30th. So it was about, yeah, it was about three and a half weeks in, I'd say. Okay. And the three to three and a half. By the time you got there, it was the snow was in a a safer condition? Yes. Yeah. The only section we had some significant snow was Goat Rocks in Southern Washington. Uh After that, it was smooth sailing. Got it. All right. So, so tell us about the, your plans for the, for the Sobo doc. In addition to talking about the the logistics, what else, what else can people expect to find in the Sobo doc? Um, so we're kind of coming through the footage now. There's a lot, we have about 600 hours of footage that we're looking at. And so I'm working with my brother and the other, my friend, the other producer, and we're, kind of just cataloging what clips we have and what we need to fill in this storyline. And I think part of the story is just going to be highlighting 
one, those challenges we were talking about, and two, the injury that I, I went through and how that led to my decision to postpone for a year and ease into it once I got back on trail in 2022. So that's going to be a big part of the story. And then also the people that I met through the experience, because I think a lot of the documentaries of the PCT that I'm seeing is just your normal Novo experience. It's, you know, it's the Cajon Pass McDonald's. It's going through the Sierra with the snow level still pretty high. So a lot of the videos I see aren't highlighting the other way around and people going that other direction. And I think probably 15 to 20 times on trail, people told us that we're late or we're going the wrong way. Um, and it's just not something you hear about often is people going south on the PCT. So kind of bringing to light that side of the trail and that, that experience that people do have every year is, is a goal of ours. That's awesome. Now, as a documentarian out on the trail, does that impact the way you do things out there? I mean, do you do you have a special uh, setup that you you know you're you're recording throughout the day or certain times of the day or in camp? Um, are you looking for those opportunities to to tell your story uh, through through video as you're out there? Yeah, it definitely. I mean, I I tried to have it impact my hike as as little as possible so when i was out there i would i would do a lot of stationary shots where i'd put the camera down and walk by it just to show the scenery but a lot of the times i tried to get clips of zero days or things we're doing in town and showing parts of the trail that aren't often uh, put into those videos so i i definitely didn't want it to become like my personality i didn't want my trail name to be cameraman or anything i I, I wanted to be as natural as possible and show the experience as it is without invading the space of other hikers and also not influencing their decisions while on camera, if you, if that makes sense. So, so I, I did as well as I could and I hope I captured the essence of the experience, but we'll see. There might be some instances where I couldn't because I didn't want to compromise that, that incredible time that I was having out there. So I tried to find a balance, but you know, I did what I could. <laughs> now, do you have a lot of experience or education in film editing or post-production or you, do you, do you, you have some people that you're bringing in to help you with this? Yeah. So I don't have really any, I think if I were to put this documentary together on my own, it would be like an iMovie production of just clip after clip with some like elevator music to it. But <laughs> that's where my brother and my friend come in. they went to school for video production and they're really talented. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do with the rough footage that I collected while out there. So okay. any, <laughs> any sense of a time frame for when we might, when we might see something out there? Yeah, I'd say if I had to guess and we're still in a really early stage, we're not entirely sure, but I'd say somewhere around March, April, like early springtime. Okay. Is what, what we're shooting for. We want it, we don't want to throw something together and kind of, we want to really ex show the experience and do what we can to, to make it look as good as possible. So we're going to take our time with it. Well, Maddie, for as long as I know you've been thinking about this, I am really looking forward to it. So I'm, I'm excited for you. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good time. You'll be one of the first we'll reach out to and send you the link to watch. So. Awesome. Awesome. That's one of the <laughs> yeah. perks for, for being a podcast. <laughs> one, of the, one of the few perks. So yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, tell us about uh, Justice Outside. What's that all about? 
So they're essentially an organization that focuses on uh, making the outdoors more accessible for the BIPOC community. So black indigenous people of color and their mission is to make that access more widespread nationwide. Um, so we, we worked with them as part of the doc to, to kind of spread their message and, and make sure that the trail and other outdoor spaces are accessible to all demographics. So that's kind of who we're working with and we are um, making some donations to them as a part of the project as well. And it's, it's a, an organization we've been working pretty close with to spread that awareness. That's fantastic. I love that because, you know, the outside it's, it's for everybody. And uh, too often we only see a, a certain um, demographic out there. And so it's, it's great that you're, you're spreading that message and, and trying to open up that uh, opportunity for more, more people. Nice job. Yeah. When you think of uh, like, when you think of through hiking, it's, it's becoming less and less accessible in my opinion, just because of the expense of gear and, the proximity of natural outdoor spaces to those populations. So as part of the project, we want to one highlight the Sobo experience on the PCT, but also show that this is something that very few have access to and have the privilege to access. So another, another goal of ours in the documentary process. Okay. Hey, uh, Schmutz, what's other than yours, what, what's the best trail name you came across out there this year? Oh man. Um, trying to think. I do like trash Crocs. I think she basically made camp shoes out of garbage. And so obviously it's a little biased. I hiked with her the whole trail, but it's, I think still hilarious. And this, the day we met her, we camped out and she pulled them out of her pack and we're like, what are those? And she had two insoles wrapped or almost built like Birkenstocks, just like slide on. Um, And she used mountain house wrappers, like the top piece that you rip off of a mountain house. She like curved those over so she could slide her foot in onto the insole. And so her goal was to hike a marathon in these trash crocs. And so we got to the section going up to the Canadian border. And she's like, this is it. I got to do it. I got to hike to the Canadian border in my trash crocs. And she made it like a mile and a half and they just pretty much disintegrated. So, <laughs> so that, that goal kind of didn't play out, but I think that name is hilarious. So. Wow. You know what? Her first through hike and she already qualifies as hiker trash. I think that that is she <laughs> that box uh, wearing trash. Right. So nice. yeah, she really embraced it. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, great names out there? Um, trying to think of a few. We had Spanx. I actually girl named Spanx who had these really bright colored tight leggings and that were cut off. And she found them in a town because I think her shorts, something happened with her shorts. So she had to get like a thrift store pair of shorts. And she found like pink tie-dye Spanx that she wore under her her shorts. So I thought that was hilarious. Um, other than that... Can't think of any really good ones right now, but I'll have to get back to you. All right. Well, hey, what's next for Schmutz? What's the next big adventure? Um, I don't have any long hikes on the radar right now. Um, I'm applying for some teaching jobs in the Boston area. And I've already been talking with Aquaman from the Appalachian Trail, and he's living up in Vermont. So we're going to meet up in the Whites and 
check off some 4,000 footers up there. I have two more to get to the 48 in New Hampshire. So I'm going to do a couple winter hikes and kind of accomplish that goal that I've been working on for a while. Nice. What, what, what do you teach? I teach biology. So I'm certified seven through 12 and um, I've been teaching seventh grade recently, but I want to get into the high school scene as well. So, all right. If there are any, and I know we have them out there, if there, if there are any uh, high school or junior high school administrators in the Boston area, uh, listening to the podcast, Schmutz needs a job. Reach out. Reach out to me. I'll put you in contact with them. Let's go. Thanks, Doc. You got it. You got it. Hey, Schmutz, you know where we are? Is it the pro tip? The pro tip insight of the week. That's right. You, you, you nailed right. it. So now <laughs> is your chance to uh, share with our listeners some trail wisdom to make their ex- next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us? So if you're doing a through hike or some sort of long distance hike or even bike packing trip or anything that requires a lot of time, I think one of the best things you can do is keep a journal. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but I can't stress it enough because I kept one on the AT and I still look back on it every once in a while and say, what was I doing this day? And I have all the details and things I did that day. And I ended up I started the PCT without one so I went out there and I got to camp at night and I wasn't really tired super early at that point so I'm like what am I doing I can't fall asleep and I need something to do before I go to bed and it got to a point where I'm like I really want to write all this down and I want to remember the hike so when I got to Bend Oregon I bought a journal and I had been keeping notes on my phone leading up to that so I started filling in the journal and eventually caught up and kept a journal for the whole trail. So having that to look back on is something that you won't regret. And it does take a little bit of time to write at night or during the day, but it's something you'll, you'll thank yourself for later. Yeah. I have to imagine, I haven't done the, you know, the, the full PCT. I've only done sections. I've done the JMT and a section here or there of the PCT, but I have to imagine, you know, three months, four months, five months, six months out on the trail, all those days have to kind of bleed into each other in in your mind. And so having a journal where you're you're taking notes on what happened that day and your thoughts and emotions and everything else has to be a a great way to kind of keep that, that comprehensive uh, storyline from start to finish. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. Even if you're just writing, like, this is where I camped, this is the mileage I did. This is one highlight I saw that day done. Like it doesn't need to be writing a novel, you know, just, something to look back on and remember what you did each day and a highlight from that day is really cool. Document it. Nice job. Yeah. yeah. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Schmutz. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Schmutz, remind us uh, of your, your social media handle where they can find updates on your latest adventures. Uh, so I'm on Instagram. You can find me at Matt Lyons. So it's my name is Matt Lyons, but that wasn't available. So I had to go with the default Matt's lion and throw the S between there. So that's on Instagram. I'm also on there on SoboDoc. So at SoboDoc on Instagram. And we have a website, SoboDoc.com. You can check that out. And TikTok as well. Same thing, Matt's lion. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. 
And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamere at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Uh, you're still on the hook for this one, uh, So, hey, I'm also looking for you to share a recommendation for a book, movie, documentary, website, something out there. It's going to help keep our listeners connected to the trail in the off-season. We call this our Adventure Media Recommendation. Do you have anything else for us besides Magnet's, uh, Magnet's work? Oh, man. Now I'm on the spot. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I've watched... A few others. I'm trying to think of a YouTube channel that I was watching before. Um, I was a friend of mine who I hiked the AT with, Julia Sheehan. I think you've seen her channel. Um, she hiked most of the trail northbound this year as well, and she posted some videos on there um, showing the northbound experience. So go check her out on YouTube and Instagram, Julia Sheehan, a friend from the AT. So her name's trail name's Rocket. That's right. And she's also a former guest on the podcast here, big fan of of Rocket and her her uh, her YouTube channel. And funny enough, she, she didn't get her trail name Rocket for how fast she was. It's no. uh, it's an abbreviation. No. It's a shortened trail name. The full trail name is Snot Rocket. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Fun fact for you. <laughs> What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, I've got just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What did we miss tonight, Schmutz? Hmm. I think. Um, wildfires. We didn't talk much about that. So I, I did run into a couple trail closures. I mentioned the McKinney fire that I had to skip a section of in Northern California. But there was also the lion's head closure, which wasn't an active burn, but it was still a closed section that we had to skip around from the Bend area up to government camp in Oregon. So that kind of played a role. Um, and that's something that hikers on the PCT have to deal with a lot these days. So that's also going to be another part of our, our documentary, I believe, is talking about that impact and how it's not only impacting the trail, but life in california and the west coast in general so. yeah unfortunately that's become more and more common these last few years uh like you said not only through hikes getting interrupted but uh, the impact on on communities in california so yeah yeah All right hey schmutz it has been fantastic catching back up with you you are you're you're legendary man i, I really enjoyed <laughs> tonight's episode that is a wrap from the john freaking your studio any shout outs to friends and family yeah, friends and family. I'd say trail families too. I had the pleasure of hiking with a few awesome groups, one northbound trail family and then a whole nother group that I met on the southbound lake. So shout out to them. Hot sauce, little eggs, magnet, thanks, tuna, knit list goes on. So you guys are awesome. You made the hike incredible. Trash crock for hiking the whole thing. Um and my family back home for supporting me. So did you, I mean, were there a lot of people going southbound? You mentioned trail family going southbound. Yeah, there were actually quite a few. We, the North, Northern California was desolate. I saw maybe two humans from in the hundred miles from Etna to Dunsmere. I saw six bears and two people in that section. That's uh, but once we got, huh. I say that's a good ratio. Yeah, it was great. It's great. But once we got to like South Lake Tahoe, Sonora Pass area, we ran into a lot more people and hiked with a group from Sonora Pass to the Mexican border. So wow. that was pretty incredible. That's very cool.
Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if your trash cocks blew out after only a mile and a half in Washington. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.